Hey, Charlie, this is like a bit before the start because this is kind of a like, it's kind of like an ad, but it's an ad for something that we're doing and we're not getting paid for. So it's an yeah. unpaid ad. What is it? It's a, it's a shout out. It's a, yeah, it's a, prom- it's a, it's a promotion endorsement, a, uh, uh, vouching for, <laughs> well, here's, okay. I'll explain what it is. And then I guess you guys can make up your own mind of what it is, but it's very on yeah. brand for Tofop because essentially it's an endeavor we've got ourselves involved in where we get nothing out of it. But yeah. I would like to think on a broader level, we do get something out of it, Charlie, because I don't know if you've been reading your modern day newspapers and magazines and periodicals, but it turns out the old planet not doing mm-hmm. as well as the old is that it came as a surprise to me to learn that apparently there's some issues with the environment. You, uh, I was wondering that because I looked out my window last night and I saw polar bears tearing apart my bins. And I'm like, yeah, they're up pretty far north. Yeah, yeah, because the planet's fucked. Turns out that uh, this whole time, while we've been hearing nothing but positive messages about the planet, it turns out the planet behind our back's gone and got fucked. And uh, I, I don't want to planet blame or planet shame because it's not the planet's <laughs> fault. It's our fault, Charlie, unfortunately. And so um, so here's the thing. I've been quite dispirited about the whole environment thing. And um, now there's this guy, uh, Damon Gamo. Do you know him? Yes, actor and filmmaker. Yeah, so he made um, that sugar film, which mm-hmm. I was mixed about, to be honest. Um, but uh, he's he's made this. Is this a good promo for him at the start? <laughs> when I say I'm <laughs> I was going to say no need that. to do a little drive by there, Will. <laughs> it's not Let's even a drive by. He was on Philosophy, and I did not bring this up on Philosophy, but I remember. Okay. I almost just had that guilt of like, I know I made fun of that um, song at the end of that sugar film. Remember, it was like sugar. You can put it in your toughy. Sugar. It's the only thing in coffee. Do you remember that? No, I don't oh, remember. Man. <laughs> anyway, there was this. Have you seen that sugar film? Yes. Like, it's a good film, but there's this, like, clip at the end, which I get the whole point of. Anyway, this is a conversation. What for are you doing? <laughs> sugar. We've been talking for four minutes and we still yeah. haven't mentioned the thing we're trying to promote. It's Tofop 250, man. Let's not rush. Let's, yeah. let's let's toe our way into this promo. So, um, okay, get comfortable. Anyway, Damon's made this amazing film. It's called Twenty Forty. It's it's almost like a letter of hope to his child. So he's gone around and interviewed all the scientists and experts and people who can actually. We have the solutions to many of the problems we're going you know, through at the moment, and there are more positive ways of us looking at the future of this planet than the current conversation we're having. And that's what this film is all about. Yes. And so to promote this film and to raise uh, funds for the environment, an environmental project called uh, the Intrepid Foundation Initiative, I believe, um, we are joining the guys from the Weekly Planet, um, uh, James and Meso, live on stage to talk about disaster movies appropriately. Yeah. So uh, we, t- we do a live podcast with those guys, talk disaster movies, and then they show 2040. So it's, yeah. it's at a cinema um beautiful cinema too um great place for a live show rivley cinemas in camberwell the uh, birthplace of barry humphreys <laughs> don't, don't hold that against it <laughs> barry humphreys may or may not be appearing on the lineup <laughs> however we're going to do the live podcast show the film have a drink raise some money um for the intrepid what are they in the intrepid association the intrepid foundation the intrepid foundation <laughs> the, intre- the intrepid foundation and look, if you can't get tickets to this show and you'd still like to help out, you can go to the intrepidfoundation.org. We're going to have links in the episode description. So you can go get your tickets there at Try Booking or you can go to just the Intrepid Foundation link if you'd like to donate some money because Intrepid are going to match dollar for dollar. Whatever is donated, they all match. Um, so if you're feeling generous, if you've still got money left over after supporting us on Patreon, just a little promo and within a promo there, Will. I call that promo inception. <laughs> I mean, I've got to be honest with you. I felt a bit bad about going down to that sugar film pass with Damon's yeah. plug at the start. But the fact that you've wedged in, you know what? <laughs> or you can just give the money to us rather than the planet. <laughs> if, if you're indifferent about the future of the planet and you don't want to give to charity, why not just give to your other favorite charity? So far. <laughs> Watch the world burn. When's the planet going to do a fundraiser for Tofop? That's the question we ask. Uh, yeah, so click on those links. Come buy a ticket, laugh with us, cry with us, be amazed and inspired for what the future could be, um, or just give us some cash. Give us some cash. They're your two options. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, this was only meant to be about giving them one option. 
which yeah. was to support the charity come to the show. Oh, that's two. Well, that's one that's option two. in two parts. Yeah, but you've right. given them a third option, really, which is just <laughs> send the money to us. <laughs> All right. On with the show? <laughs> on with the show. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. The following episode of TOEFOP is rated M.A. It may contain Batman references, time travel references, sexual references, lost trains of thought, and mild coarse language. TOEFOP advises that the program is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15 or anyone who enjoys succinct, coherent conversation that might actually have a point. Minors must be accompanied by a parent, guardian, or priest. This is John Deke speaking. This is Topop. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. Hello, Charlie. Back in the same country. Not in the same state. Still on Skype. No, no. But (laughs) back on Australian internet. (laughs) We're getting closer. Well, I actually have uh, finally, they've uh, released um, uh, the, what is it? Um, I can't remember what it's called. What's the fast internet called in Australia? The NBN. The power of the National Broadband Network, Charlie. It's in my neighbourhood. So uh, just before I left to go overseas, it was connected. And these download speeds are amazing when it works. <laughs> oh, is it a when it works situation? Sometimes, yeah. There's a bit of a peak hour issue, I've noticed, uh, when you're trying to upload a large file around about after 6pm, I guess when the kids are home from school and watching their Blue's Clues or whatever kids watch on YouTube. <laughs> Probably something much more offensive than Blue's Clues. <laughs> yeah, they're watching uh, film clips on YouTube of South Park characters having sex with Bluey. <laughs> Some randomly generated, one of those horrible... Have you seen those, like, there are these algorithms that generate these crazy YouTube videos. It's like they use kids' cartoon characters and stuff to generate these crazy uh, YouTube cartoons that sort of suck kids in but have these really strange kind of uh, uh, almost sinister undertones to them. How, how are things going with the internet, do you think, Charlie? Fine still? <laughs> Pretty good. Still got, you still think we've got the power of the internet under control <laughs> as a human yeah. species? Do you think we I may think have so. unleashed the most revolutionary piece of technology on our human civilization and done no real investigation into <laughs> what the ramifications of it might have been? Mate, it'll be fine. That's <laughs> it'll what be they fine. said. When they invented the internet, it'll be fine. It'll be fine, mate. We'll work it out as we go. It'll be fine. Well, didn't... Didn't Google, like they used to be, don't be evil. That was their whole tagline. But they removed that a long time ago, right? Well, technically, when they became, uh, what are they now? Alphabet. They they came up with a new slogan, which was like, um, I don't know, be your best. We'll try. We'll We'll try try not be evil. (laughs) No guarantees. Yeah, don't be evil is more a serving suggestion now. (laughs) Don't be evil to the company you work for. Um, Yeah, so they technically Google still has the motto, don't be evil. But yes. I, I did a little bit of my stand-up show this year about that meeting where you have to pitch it to everybody. Hey, guys, uh, you might have noticed that the Don't Be Evil mugs have disappeared from the, <laughs> the coffee room. <laughs> uh, okay, here we go. Uh, my, my, Mike Al says, uh, yes. it's been changed to do the right thing. Do uh, the right so thing. I, I imagine Spike Lee probably sued a few people <laughs> when that came out. <laughs> Well, maybe they were just big Spike Lee fans and they went through yeah. all the Spike Lee films to see if any um, of them fitted slogans. So they were just like, yeah. do the right thing is probably the best one. Uh, we were going to go with... Well, you're uh, not going to type Jungle Fever into your search engine, are you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. Again, no. Google Jungle Fever. Uh, Google uh, Bamboozled. Bamboozled <laughs> might be a good one for Google. Uh, he Got Game. Mo Better All of blues. these sound like they could be like pornos. All of them. <laughs> she hate me. Girl six. Yeah, girl six would probably be work. That I mean, if they had called their like Alexa or their Google Home girl six, and really continued the Spike Leaf, or you could you could you download Malcolm X or girl six. Well, I believe girl six is about a phone sex worker. Oh yeah, it is. Yeah, I think you're right. So that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so we have the NBN at, at, at the Sydney House as well now. It got installed yeah. the other day by a uh, Rush. He was a Russian. He was a Russian installer, which oh, just that, makes, that fills you with confidence, yeah. doesn't it? <laughs> fills you with confidence that everything is secure. Not only yeah. do you have to worry about being hacked by the Russians or having your news manipulated by the Russians or the elections manipulated by the Russians, you have to worry about the fact they're installing it in your house. Yeah. And you're so worried, you just grab your Huawei phone and just make sure that this is all okay. <laughs> well, well, Huawei says it's fine, so I guess they're all good. I mean, it does sort of feel a little bit like we are on the precipice of just like a, a major cultural change doesn't it like these like china emerging as this superpower i feel like we're holding back the tide like there is going to be a big shift like if you look at entertainment the way entertainment's pivoting now to appeal to the chinese market i think that is a real precursor follow the money will where is the money in entertainment going that will dictate where the culture is going well yes it'll end up being that thing where we'll have to edit in like 10 minutes of chinese you know references into this podcast just so it can sell in china like every yeah. episode, we just suddenly are talking about something that happened in China. You're like, this seems tacked on for the Chinese market. Well, it'll be like one of those Fast and Furious movies where we just give a cameo to a, a Chinese pop star for no apparent reason. It's like, why is that scene with that Chinese pop star who couldn't act? You know Tofop, Will Charlie and that, Chinese, that prominent Chinese pop star. The three of them who do their <laughs> regular podcasts. Now, Will, I've come with a, a bit of a, a, a motivation to talk to you today because I Great. have just come from an incident that I need your objective opinion. Now, I want you to resist the urge to um, take the other side just so you can make fun of me. I want you to be an objective, impartial observer to this situation and tell me if I was in the wrong or if I if I was right to stand my ground. So, Okay, but, so if, if you want me to be not take the opposite opinion just to be funny, let me just get it out yeah. of the way immediately. You were wrong. Okay. I bet you were in the wrong. I bet this story is about how you did something and you were in the wrong. All right. So I did went to the gym, just do a little quick workout. I like to get the blood pumping before an episode of Tofom. <laughs> That's not I true. I didn't even manage to have a shower. <laughs> Two different lives. The original odd couple. <laughs> So uh, at, at my gym, there's like, you know, the weights area and then there's, I guess it's like the cardio kind of cross training area, you know, it's, it's mm-hmm. the rubber mats and stuff where, you know, they do group training classes and if you want to jump rope and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, I had like 20, I, I had 20 minutes to get some exercise done. So I was like, I'm just going to go, I'm going to skip rope, do some push ups, do some sit ups and I'll get out of here real quick. So I get to the cardio area and there's one big group class that's taking up sort of like 70% of the room, but there's still... 30% sort of back up in the corner of the room near the mirrors. So I'm like, okay, well, I'll just go into that 30% and I'll start my routine. So I'm there like skipping my rope and doing my push-ups and stuff. And this trainer comes up and she starts setting up stations. Obviously, she's about to conduct a group training thing as well. So she's laying down like the kettlebells and all this kind of stuff and setting it up around me. And I'm sort of keeping an eye on this because I could see she's sort of encroaching on where I am. But I'm like, well, you know, she knows I'm here. So maybe she's carved that area out. But sure enough, like her students arrive, like five or six people, and she's taking them, she's explaining to them what all the stations they're going to do. And then, like I'm mid-routine, she turns to me and says, excuse me, I'm about to run a class. And I was like, whoa, hang on. I said, but I was here first. And she's like, yeah, well, you can go somewhere else. And I was like, no, 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 no. Like the onus is not on me to go somewhere else. Like you came to set up after me. And then I started in my head thinking, Wait a minute. Does a personal trainer who's running a class have authority over just a regular gym member? Because I pay my membership. Like, uh, and there is no rule there that says, there's no signs up saying when a class is run, you've got to get out of this area. As far as I know, depending on the size of your class, that's how big you set up. Now, I got huffy. And it was one of those things where I was like, I stood my ground and I was like, well, no, like you can just move your kettlebells over to the other side and, and set your class up over there. Why do I have to move. And she was like, look, I've got all these people here. And I'm like, yeah, I get that. But I was here first. You saw me, I'm in the, you're interrupting my routine. I've got 20 minutes to exercise. And then I could see the class, her class getting all. What I love about this, Charlie, for a start is there are so many, uh, hopefully indigenous people listening to this podcast going, now you know how it feels. 
Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Finally, a white guy gets what it's like when the white people came to Australia and stole our country from him. And now he wants a treaty with the personal trainer (laughs) from the gym about his original land rights. Fuck a treaty, mate. I'm calling for a revolution. Take down the personal trainers. That's what I'm saying. I'd like to acknowledge the original owners of this mat. Charlie, skipping. Skipping Charlie, the original owner. (laughs) Well, I got so huffy, like... I eventually, like, I conceded. I moved to, like, this little tiny corner of the gym where I must admit it was quite hard to complete my routine. Completely broke my rhythm. I was trying to do an unbroken run for 20 minutes, but it took me about five minutes to set up again and get started. So she completely fucked my my routine. And then I was like, do I go to the front desk and fucking pull rank? Because I am one of the original members of this gym. Like, if, if you look at my number, I'm like member 00003 so i've been like a foundation member to the point where they give me a discount my membership because they're so grateful for my 10 years of service or whatever the fuck it is but do you think i had a right to stand my ground or should i have just been should i have just deferred and gone you know what it's fine you're running a class you're trying to run a business i'm just a fucking idiot who's here to skip rope i can move what do you think well okay when you sign up for the gym yeah. Are you kind of, you know, gyms are not my area of expertise, but yeah. surely you sign up to the idea that all the items in the gym are available. Are there, okay, let me ask it this way. Are there other areas of the gym, depending on what time of the day you go to the gym, that you're not able to access? Um, yes. Like there's like certain studios where they'll do like yoga or cycling. Like there's certain classes which you can't just wander into because it is reserved at that time for that class. Right, but they're separate classes. But th- th- yes. This is the classes that invaded the sort of communal gym space that's for everybody. A hundred percent. So you're so, saying if you want to have a class, there's plenty of rooms here that are available for classes, and this is what I agreed to, that the classes would be in those rooms and I would have like free reign of the mat whenever I wanted? No, because the area where the 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 group training was going on that is where they work out so she was in the right area where you train a a group class there's no other place for her to go my argument is the way she set up her class was to push me out even though i was there first you know what i mean so i guess the question is do as a trainer as someone who works there does she have authority over me like can she tell me to 100 percent yes why well, she's like one of the wardens, isn't she? Isn't she like a behavioral awareness officer of the gym? She's like... No. Well, my understanding of how it works at a gym is the personal trainers aren't on a payroll. They're not employees. Oh. Okay. They they work at the gym. They use the gym's facilities and they actually pay a fee to the gym. Like the gym take a percentage of their money to train people there or something like that. So she doesn't. she's not an employee. She has no authority. Because part of me wanted to go like to the front desk and like say, hey, listen, I'm getting pushed around by one of your uppity PTs or one of the uppity PTs who works here. That, I mean, that's more interesting to me because I hadn't thought of it that way. I was thinking of the fact that these personal trainers would be employees of the gym itself. But if they are also mm. freelancers, I mean, it's yes. the public park thing in, in that yes. case, isn't it? Where it's 100%. like, right, yeah, this park is for everyone. I was here first in the park and just because there's more of you doesn't mean that you have any more right to the park than I. Now, does that transfer to the gym where they're essentially going through the same transaction of hiring the space as you are? Had they pre-booked the space? Was there some sort of notification or something that the space was pre-booked? Well, that's the thing. There was no, I did not see anything written up. There was nothing written up on the blackboard. There was no signs around saying between you know nine and twelve, this is a group training. Yeah. You know, it's happened to me before, and I've been willing to concede if you know we arrive at the same time. Or I'm not going to like if I see a group training class, I'm not going to like muscle in and like take a corner. Like I'll give them space. All I was asking for was the same courtesy in return, which was like. Just move your class. Like all I needed was an extra two meters. Because her complaint was because I was skipping rope. It was you know potentially going to be a hazard to one of her her like students. Well, move your students. Will will does the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few? I mean, everybody who's listening to this, whether it be like a 
you know, a, a non-gender conforming person, a person who hasn't been a straight white man, basically, uh, is listening to this going, Charlie, you finally got an insight into what it's like to be us. This is the first time a white straight man has ever gone, the, the majority rule has worked so well in our favour up until this point, Charlie, but in this one instance where it's muscled you off the mat and you've had a meltdown. Well, it's funny. I did sort of just stop. I just like, I, I got them to cut the music at the gym. I got everyone yeah. to turn around and I said, I don't think you guys understand. I'm straight, I'm white, I'm a man. Huh? 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 And I just looked around like this. You get it? You get it now? Oh, you must have, you made a mistake. My complexion, Sorry. white. Yeah. My sexuality, straight. My gender, <laughs> male. You get it? We're really my not. artificially inflated rights. <laughs> so you think it's my privilege, Will? I needed to check my privilege. No, okay. Here's what I would honestly ask. I, I think that it's unfair the way that you've been treated. However, I would ask this. Is there anywhere else in the gym they could have done their group training class? No. Uh, how many of them were there? Probably about 10 and a teacher, 11. Then the needs of the many outweigh the few. I think that like, right. you, I mean, you're not going to make 10 people wait around so that you can do your fancy skipping tricks. <laughs> You can play elastics with the. You can go and play elastics with the other girls in the playground. <laughs> Hang on, Dutch, Charlie's got to finish Dutch. his hopscotch, guys. Charlie's <laughs> got to finish his hopscotch before we get to our group training. I mean, the funny thing is, we talked last week about how you know, you know, I'm I'm, I'm meditating every day, and I'm trying really hard to be much yeah. more mindful and not be as reactive, respond rather than react. But it's another instance where I just fucking reacted. Like, I think it was also too, because, you know, you, 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 I was out of breath and I was straining from the exercise anyway. So you're kind of in that headspace where it's like, you're touchy, right? You're already in pain. You're already distressed. Your heart's beating. You're sweating. You feel uncomfortable. The last thing you want is someone to come up and like, you know, throw you off your axis. So I was kind of touchy, but it was one of those things where it was like, after it happened and I'd cooled off, like literally cooled off, I was like, wow, was that the hill I was going to die on? Was it really that important to me that I needed to guard that, like that I was going to, because I did sort of kick up a, not didn't create a scene, but I did get huffy. Like I did have words back with her. I did sort of state that I was here first and how come you can't move and all this kind of stuff. And then in the, in the, when I cooled down, there was a bit of shame washed over me. That was like, why did I, why did I get upset over that? And that's why I wanted to bring it to you. Cause I'm like, was there. Did I have cause to get my nose out of joint? Was it worth me getting huffy about? I could have just as easily been gracious about it and gone, yeah, sure, no problem, and found my spot in the gym where I could have kept going. But for some reason, I decided that no more, Will, no more. Well, I think that like in those moments, what you say is, and this is what we don't take the time to do, right, is have the capacity to step away and examine it through. Like in the moment, you're like, an injustice has been done to me. <laughs> And this is unfair. Like, you know, mm. the minute your head is saying, this is unfair, you're in trouble. Because yes. nothing is fucking fair. Life isn't fair. And the minute your brain is like, you must make a fuss about this because something unfair has happened to you, you're in a world of trouble. I refer you, Charlie, to the case of Anderson versus the plane to Wagga Wagga. <laughs> <laughs> it just doesn't work out in that situation. I say, keep your opinions to yourself and uh, just write a show about it later. Yeah. I mean, I, there is a part of me that thinks, well, this is a lesson. Like, because in the cold, hard light of day, like part of my brain was like, maybe I should just find this PT and just seek her out and, and apologize for being huffy and just explain where I was coming from. Because I don't like the idea of, you know, because I did it in front of a group of people and, you know, it was just, it was one of those things where it was probably not my finest hour. I wasn't having a tantrum, no. but I definitely was like, they have a story to tell when they get to work today. Those people training, it's like, oh my Home God. Home and Away Star seen. has meltdown at Sydney gym <laughs> over well, skipping space. I mean, I don't even know if like that comes into play, but it's just more like man has meltdown because he's not allowed to skip his rope. Like... When you really look at the facts, what they are, I was upset that I wasn't allowed to skip my rope. <laughs> like, and I'm a 42-year-old man. 
I mean, I imagine at the gym they're used to a little bit of anger because no one's probably at their best at the gym because you're physically straining. You're often doing something that you don't necessarily enjoy doing that's giving you some sort of physical pain. And physical pain has a direct uh, link to mental pain. Like there's been Mm. a myriad of studies that show that if you're in poor physical, like if you're hurting physically, then it's harder to have a good mental disposition. So, you know, people are pushing themselves plus all the roid rage. So I imagine yeah. there's people getting a little bit huffy with them all the time. I wouldn't worry about I, it. I've seen, I've been going to this gym now for almost 10 years and I would say I've seen very little aggro. Nary a crossword between people. You know, maybe there's some, the, the greatest angst is probably about, you know, when it's peak hour and someone wants to use a machine and someone's checking their phone. That seems to be the number one gripe is someone oh, even Even at the gym, that's holding people up. Not just in traffic. Not just in the streets, now at the gym. You can't get your reps in because some fucker's checking their phone. Well, tell you what, since I've deleted Facebook and Twitter from my phone, I can be in and out of the gym in half an hour. What used to take me an hour to do because it was a great reason in between sets to just jump on my phone and just scroll through Twitter. But now it's like, I've got nothing to distract me. I've just got to stay in the pain. I mean, it's amazing what you can get achieved though, isn't it? Yeah. And it's amazing how much thinking you get done. Like the mm. amount of times I've been now like, you know, walking around and like planning the next thing that I have to do for the day or whatever, it gets planned in my head rather than getting home and then having to sit down and plan it. You're like, oh no, this is how your brain's meant to work. You're meant to think ahead. <laughs> but do you also find that you are seeking out that Twitter hit in other ways? Like, you know, I'm wanting that little short bit of information. So I'm, I'm looking at my news app or I'm going to Instagram. It's not the same. It's kind of like I'm on methadone. I was a heroin addict. Now I'm on methadone. Like it's it's kind of filling the gaps, but it's not quite the same thing. I still I still dream about that Twitter hit from time to time. Well, for me, I've still got Instagram on my phone because Instagram doesn't really work that well on your computer. Work, yeah. And I've found that I've looked at Instagram more, but I've not yeah, liked same. it anymore. I have same. like I'm not a person who like I I will look at it and I, and I really do feel like yeah, this is not the same. There's no one no. having. There's no one having fights over things that don't matter to anybody outside this app. It's also because you don't go in a rabbit hole on Instagram. Like you see some kind of feud happening on Twitter, and it's great because you hit on that thread, and then you can follow it all. You can trace it all the way back to where it started. But that's the one thing I would say. Getting off Twitter that has completely changed is I'm no longer getting sucked into conflicts that have nothing to do with me. Right, and that you can't do anything about. And that you can't affect yeah. in any way, but can really take you on an emotional roller coaster as you read all the different. Like you're like, oh god, I now have so many opinions about this topic that is no use to me in my day to day life. Well, when I was uh, when I was away last week, I I um I had my I've still got Twitter on my iPad, and so I was in bed and I started reading it, and I can't remember who it was. It was someone complaining about something, but. I felt like this feeling I haven't had for about a month now, which is where my blood was rising. And then I started to get like an opinion that I, on a subject I didn't really give a shit about. Like, I don't care like this conflict, but it was like, oh, wow, this is, this is what the, the, you know, they talk about, um, you know, some people are addicted to chaos or you get an adrenaline rush from stress. I think that was kind of part of the attraction for me was like being sucked into a conflict that really has no bearing on my life. And getting some kind of like adrenaline rush from, you know, involving myself or at least observing the debate online. Well, of course there's a, there's a rush like around that. Like if you ever listen to talk about radio, the, the anger that people have about issues that they have no effect on. You know, like when mm. people will ring about it, like that may have an effect on their life. But the level of anger, you're like, oh, man, that is, you're so angry about a topic that in your day-to-day life doesn't affect you in any way. And Twitter's just the same. Like someone's yeah. angry about something should be the slogan of Twitter. Google's is don't be evil. <laughs> and Twitter is someone's angry about something. Well, it's also that thing where I've never, even when I was a heavy Twitter user, I was tempted sometimes if someone said something mean to me or, you know, the, attempted to get into a tete-a-tete, but I never did. And now with a bit of distance, when I look at, you know, when you see someone get on like a Twitter rampage where they're just taking down haters or blocking people left and right, I'm like... It seems like a lot of fucking energy. Like it's almost, you're not seeking it out because I guess people are adding you. But there, there is a lot of energy required to answer back at all these fucking like people you're never going to meet. Like who gives a fuck what some person, you know, on their Twitter account is saying about you or 
especially if they're deliberately trying to bait you. Like, why give into it? Yeah, no, the idea of, um, uh, you know, blocking, performatively blocking people. Like, I know that, oh, look, if you're a minority group, perhaps there's some value in it because you're highlighting, you know, the day-to-day abuse that you get on that platform and you're sort of illustrating it to the broader community. You might not be aware of, you know, the race, the racial stuff or the sexual stuff or those sort of things. I think maybe there's some value in that. But I know what you mean. Just the, before, like, just going through and, like, naming and shaming. When yeah. you can just much more easily just walk away. Well, much like that- you on that mat at the gym when the group <laughs> trainers came in, Charlie. You had totally. Two, you had two options in that. You could have assessed it and gone, look, there's nowhere else they're going to train. I can't hold those other 10 people up. I should just walk away and skip in the corner and just like deal with the fact that like I'm only here for 20 minutes anyway. They're not ruining that much of my day in the grand scheme of things. Or you could stand up there and you could block them one by one. <laughs> Well, it was, but much like Twitter, I was in a state of distress. Like I was highly activated and ready for conflict because I, my body was feeling pain, just like when you go online. Because I do think it's weird, you know, you often see, you know, we live in this cancel culture where people can't wait to dig up an old quote from someone to say, oh, but you know, their opinion on this can't possibly hold any water because seven years ago they once said this. And again, it's like, how much energy uh, did you just have that quote on file? Like, have you saved every quote of this person? Did you go digging through their file? Again, it's a lot of energy to make a point, which really ultimately doesn't change anything. Well, particularly if that person has moved on from those opinions, like if they haven't, then sure. If it's an illustration of the fact that someone has those opinions and has always had those opinions, then maybe there's some value in that. But this idea that, people aren't allowed to change their mind or that in some way someone has a perfect set of opinions or that opinions in themselves aren't things that, you know, should evolve. And, you know, like as society evolves, your opinions on things evolve. Yeah. Well, well, there's a big discussion at the moment around the idea of, because of this sort of cancel culture and, you know, it's this mob mentality is, well, do we offer a path to redemption? Like, do we just sort of call someone out and then just leave them hanging in the wind? Or do we say, okay, you made a mistake. We're going to give you a chance to uh, acknowledge your mistake and move forward. Or do we just want to slam the door on them and say you are irredeemable? Well, if everybody ends up irredeemable though, like, you know, it's like Israel Folau's list of people who were going to hell. Um, yes. It was most people. Like if yeah. you had a good look at the list, it was like 90% of the population. Like if 90% of the population is in hell, and only 10% are in the other place, then the other place is the hell. Do you know what I mean? Like, but these things change as well. Like, and we're like, Twitter didn't used to be what Twitter is now. Twitter became something different to what it was originally. Like, Twitter used to be like, you know, here's some funny names for movies. Change the name of this movie to something else. <laughs> yeah. And people would spend like three three hours of the day playing like funny word games with each other around the world and it was like communal and it was fun and it was hilarious like no one was like i'm taking twitter off my phone i'm just having too much fun playing these witty pun word games (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean it's it's almost like i remember when facebook i was so reluctant to 2007 i reckon i got on facebook 2008 and i just used my status you know how you update your status to just little whimsical observations about the day, you know? Because I think the way they used to frame it, your status would be like Charlie Clawson dot, dot, dot. And so I'd always begin with Charlie Clawson thinks that um, the Avengers film will never work or something like that. (laughs) Charlie Clawson wonders why so many people ride racer scooters. It's not 1999, you know, some shit. It'd be great if someone at Marvel, Kevin Feige, was sitting around and just going, hey, we're getting some poor feedback on this Avengers concept that we're putting together, guys. Uh, Charlie Clawson doesn't think it's going to work at all. I think we should cancel the whole thing. <laughs> uh, Arnett's chocolate update. I uh, have tried the iced Vovo. So do, do you know that they're now in sort of like single bars as opposed to you don't have to yeah. buy the whole block? They've always been like that. I think we were fooled. We thought oh. that you could only eat the whole block, which I was okay with, <laughs> I've got to be honest with you. Part of the reason I'm at the gym skipping rope uh, first thing in the morning is because I was okay with the whole block. But yes, I thought I was safe because um, I think it was exclusive to one supermarket chain for a while. 
and that supermarket is nowhere near me. But now every store around me, like the general store across the road, the IGA down the road, they've all got them. So I can't escape. And so I, after poo-pooing the iced Vovo, I think it is now my favorite of that range. Well, I must admit that I've eaten them all now because now that I found I was in the single serves, I decided I would complete the set. Um, <laughs> I'm nothing if not a completionist. Watched all ten series yeah. of Smallville, so <laughs> so does that. So does that include the dark chocolate and ginger nut? Includes the dark chocolate and ginger nut, which oh. I didn't mind. Wow, you really are a completionist. You've even got the rare B-sides that no one really talks about. I would not have if if it hadn't come in the sort of the the single chocolate bar size. Right. I wasn't going to invest in a whole a whole block of it, but I did go the single. Okay, so so as someone who's had all of them, can you give me yeah. your definitive ranking? One through five or whatever. Okay, I'm going to say in most likely to... Okay, yeah, I'm going to say... Wagon Wheel, number one. Whoa. Ice really? Ice number two. Mm. Jats, number three. Ginger Snap, number four. Scotch Finger, number five. Right. See, I haven't had Scotch Finger or Ginger Snap. I would have put Ginger Snap at the bottom, but we did have a few people contact us online to say, if you're a dark chocolate aficionado, then Ginger Snap would easily be number one. If you're a dark chocolate aficionado, you're eating proper dark chocolate. You're not eating a fucking artist's <laughs> ginger snap fucking block of dark chocolate. That's not your aficionados. Like, when I was coming back uh, through duty free, I had um, just one US $5 note to get rid of. And they had, I, so I went to duty free and I saw they had a block of chocolate for five bucks. I'm like, perfect, you know, bring something back for Gem. She likes dark chocolate. It's one of those eighty-five percent cocoa dark chocolates. Have you have you gone that far into the percentage-wise of dark chocolate? Yeah, absolutely. Because I like to eat some uh, dark chocolate that makes my f- mouth feel like a black hole is collapsing. It's fucking disgusting. It was like it was like eating t- raw tobacco. <laughs> <laughs> what is the point of chocolate that doesn't taste like chocolate? I mean, you're crazy. And all these bloody fitness people will be like, hey, it's okay, you can eat chocolate as long as it's 85% cocoa. Well, no, that's not chocolate. I might as well just eat dirt. I'm angry, Will. You are angry. You've turned into Dave Hughes. Uh, well, maybe it's all your Twitter rage coming out because it could be a chance, like when somebody quits smoking. You know, yeah. or um, whatever, you get a little bit of grumpy, like you start taking that aggression out in your day-to-day life. So maybe you're detoxing from sort of the aggression of the internet, but some of that is like seeping out your pores into the world. Well, I think more for me, there, there, there was a bit of a, I think there's a bit of an ego check when you jump off Twitter, because in my head, I'm like, well, I'll be gone and people wonder where I am. Like, it'll be this, it'll be this controversy. I imagine when I check my mentions after a couple of weeks, it'll be like, Whatever happened to Charlie Clawson? Like, where's he gone? We used to, his, his, his pithy observations used to, you know, be the highlight of my week. But no, no one seems to have noticed that I'm not on Twitter anymore. No, no one cares. And in your day-to-day life, have you noticed that, like, you suddenly are paying attention to things that actually need to be paid attention to? Like, actually yes. things that affect your everyday life. You're like, oh, I'll just do those things instead. Like, I've been yeah. reading books and uh, it's... It's kind of doing my head in how much more information and how much more it makes your brain work to read a book than it does to just, you know, read. You think almost with the internet, there's so much information out there that somehow you're stimulating your brain in a better way. But to sit down and actually just envelop yourself in the world of a book makes your brain work. You can actually feel your brain working in the way that it's meant Mm. to work. Yeah, but that's the problem. I feel my brain working. I'm like, oh, this hurts. Like I have to read that page again because I've just read an entire page and none of that information went in. I've got to go back and concentrate on every fucking word. Wow. <laughs> doc, Doc, can it actually hurt to have information go into my brain? <laughs> my brain hurts my from brain reading. Hurts. <laughs> it does. 
It does hurt. I've got a stack of books next to my bed because I'm trying to do that thing with like no screen time within an hour of going to sleep. And it's almost like, I'm like, okay, so I've got this, like I've got like my fiction book and I've got my uh, nonfiction book and I've got my one that's more of like film essays book. And I keep sort of jumping around and then completely forgetting where I am. And so I'm pretty sure I've read the same first four chapters of these three or four different books over the last six months. Yeah, well, so you're still jumping around too much. You're trying to create the offline equivalent of the internet. Yeah, that's like, you know, true. Like all this that's information that you have to jump to from one to one. You've essentially created the Amish internet. That's what you're working yeah. on. Honey, I'm going to bed to work on my Amish internet. Well, because I got this one book, which is a collection of interviews James Cameron did with a bunch of filmmakers. It's all about the history of science fiction. So it's like Christopher Nolan and George Lucas and Steven Spielberg. And it's a great book, but I didn't realize until I was on um, the flight back to Australia that it's actually uh, from a uh, like a, a TV series. It's kind of like the transcripts from a TV series. Okay, yeah. Because then I watched the first two episodes of this series. It's like, Oh, now I get it. <laughs> I've read half this book. And it's like, don't remember any of the information. But when I watch the, the moving pictures, Will. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's a interesting point in our evolution we're at because there does seem to be a bit of a backlash against the all-immersive way that we threw ourselves into the internet. Like, you know, we went all of human civilization without the internet until like, you know, 25, 30 years ago. And then it's become so all-encompassing. Like there's an advertisement for the NBN or for Telstra or, yeah, I think it's Telstra NBN that's on the television at the moment. And it's all about, you know, when we got 4G. Oh, so it's for 5G. That's what it's for. And it, and it kind of talks about all the things we didn't know. When we got 4G, you didn't know you were going to use it for these things. So the idea being that, the capacity came before we decided what we were going to do with the capacity that we had, you know? And the things that it shows in, in the advertisement, you're like, Oh, that's right. We've become so used to the idea that the internet allows us to, you know, binge television shows or watch whatever we want on demand or listen to whatever we want on demand or like access, you know, pornography or violence or, or, or any of these things to a level that we've, had no build up to like we basically were just like we didn't have it we didn't have it we didn't have it and then just we had it Mm. and they just went here it is there's no real rules have a crack we're we're sure it won't affect society in too many different ways (laughs) (laughs) yeah i guess i mean what would be the equivalent in human history like maybe the industrial revolution well the internet revolution yeah the technological revolution is the next industrial revolution no doubt about that yeah but I mean, I imagine when like, you know, automobiles first came along and people were like, you know what? We can go like five times the speed of a horse. Let's just go as fast as we can go. <laughs> Let's just put your foot, get in, put your foot down, no speed limits. Let's just go as fast as you can get. And then after a few people like died. Well, like, for what? a while, the cars didn't have the capacity to go that fast. So that essentially at the start, you had the dial up cars. You know, they, they, didn't, they didn't have the inbuilt capacity. But now we've got the, you know, the NBN, NBN cars. They work occasionally. Yeah. Speaking of which, I was um, uh, at a doctor's office the other day and they needed to get some results sent through and they called somewhere and asked them to send a fax. And I sat there and went like, ah, and then I realized that that person had no idea who I was or and, what I was referring to. And then the doctor went downstairs to the news agents under, under the <laughs> hospital where they have an yeah. arrangement. <laughs> um, look, let's get to some letters. We still haven't really made a dent in these Patreon um, uh, correspondence. We really need to get some sticker packs out. I've sent a whole bunch out to everyone in the last two weeks. I think we gave away like six or seven. I put them in the post yesterday. I even went to the news agent, used some of that sweet Patreon dollars to buy a book of stamps <laughs> because it was taking way too much time for me to go and send each thing individually. So now I'm sending. Your, when you get your sticker pack, know that it's been personally addressed to you by me. So when you see like that ineligible writing on the back that says TOFOP with no return address, that's because I really can't be fucked. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Um, uh, This is from Elias. Writes in, Hey, Will and Charlie. The other day I read an article about how condoms are made. 
The article stated that condoms are made by automated machines, and this got me thinking of you. <laughs> Robo- <clears throat> Robots are literally helping to prevent human reproduction. Do you think this is part of the plan to take over? Anyway, love the podcast and creep up the great work, Elias. And Elias lives in Norway, so definitely will not be getting a sticker book. There is no way you're getting a sticker book, Elias. <laughs> what do you reckon? Condoms made by machines. Is it part of their ploy to stop us reproducing? Well, that and the fact that they're making us infertile with the little machines we keep in our pockets. So you yeah. keep your mobile phone next to your testicles. They're, they're making us infertile. So that's the first step. Then they're making our condoms at the same time. And then they're probably able through the condom factory to do some artificial like AI sort of breeding program where they find the people who are most sympathetic to the rise of artificial intelligence and only let them breed and not let the people who you know what know what's really going on breed. So yes, absolutely, 100%. In fact, everything is pretty much a sign that the machines are going to take us over. I uh, Did you ever hear that interview that Joe Rogan did with Elon Musk? Uh, I saw some of it. I don't think I actually listened to the whole thing. Joe put forward quite an interesting theory of what he reckons is is happening. Like he, he was talking about technology and this sort of race to innovate and you know we keep sort of advancing faster and faster than we can actually keep up with. And his theory is that, well, maybe this is like a predetermined course that humans are on. Like the machines need us to evolve from this kind of like monkey state into humans 2.0. And so we are being, we're giving this technology, we are the caterpillar stage. We're going to evolve into something else, which is going to be more machine than human. So we can then get to that next stage. So the fact that we all work jobs to buy things that we don't need that you know that having that we have to replace every 2 years is just part of the drive of that is just so we can hurry up and get to the technological technological evolution the the crystallis moving from the caterpillar stage to what we evolved to humans 2.0 what do you think about that and they said now and now Elon let's uh, finish off this doobie and go and hunt some elk <laughs> I'm going to barbecue it up for you and we're going to eat half an elk each with some jalapenos and then cryo-freeze each other. It'll be a great day. So you follow him on Instagram as well, do you? (laughs) It does look. I mean, I know you don't eat meat, but it does look good. And I know he gets his uh, barbecue up to, was it 180 degrees exactly, to sear it just perfectly on each side. Uh, Mate, the amount of times that there is just on my Instagram feed a plate of what looks like to me barely fucking cooked meat like raw meat (laughs) on a plate with a bunch of jalapenos and like half an elk and he's like the most delicious (laughs) dinner ever and i'm like what are your shits like man like (laughs) (laughs) maggie writes in hey guys so tonight i was watching uh you probably know this she's a comedian um i can't pronounce her name uh, is it Eliza Schlesinger? Actually, that's not bad. Eliza Schlesinger, I think. But Schlesinger? Yeah. Uh, Eliza Schlesinger on Netflix, where she starts getting into a bit about the ridiculous things that women will do to get the attention of men when they go out and party. All of the prepping, makeup, pre-gaming, crying, etc., etc., that go, then goes on into how it's just kind of insane that the whole thing is, and yet we do it anyway. That's the gist of the bit. Anyway. Then it occurred to me how funny, amazing it would be if Eliza and Daniel Sloss got on stage and did like a dual comedy show, weird life advice for millennials and non-millennials. First of all, is that even a thing? This is more of a question for you. Do comedians ever get together and write a show and do it together? As a non-comedian, it seems like it would be fun to have a partner on stage to bounce things off. But I can also get how it would potentially cause problems too. And second, if this were a thing, what two comedians do you think would be the funniest, best on stage together? Okay, that's a good question. Okay, so it does happen. Like, I mean, the most recent example that I can think of, well, there's two prominent examples. Um, Jeff Ross and Dave Attell in the US have been doing this show, Bumping Mics, which is a Netflix special now or is about to be. Um, And... uh, I also uh, love that Judith Lucy and Denise Scott do shows together. So they'll, you know, two people who are individual stand-ups, you know, do shows together, but they're not necessarily opposing points of view. You know, they're all sort of on the same page, you know, to a certain degree. Um, an interesting take on is, is uh, Moshe Kasher and uh, Natasha Legero, who are both stand-ups but are also married. They do a show together where they both do, like, stand-up each and then they come out at the end and they do 
you know, something together. So as a married couple, that's quite an interesting oh, dynamic on stage. Yeah. I don't know them. Do they have a TV show together as well, that history one, or am I thinking two other comedians? Uh, I think that they would have done definitely. I think Natasha is definitely in one of those recreation shows, like one of those. Yeah. No, not, not Drunk History. It's the other one. There's it's an, another there's one. There's one that was on. I saw it on my flight as well yeah. <laughs> after I saw the James Cameron thing. But they're both, they're both really funny comedians. Um, it doesn't happen a lot just because stand up is such a, you know, um, uh, well, it's like the idea of stand-up, it is that it's that one person alone. But the idea of getting two mm. stand-ups and getting them to sort of like, I think the, the, the most of it happens in an improvisational sense. The idea of somebody writing a show, like, you know, it's going to be Daniel Sloss and Eliza Schlesinger and they're going to do what men think and what women think, but in a kind of cool, you know, post-millennial sort of way that isn't that sort of traditional. Yeah, I think that mm. would work. I think it's like a, quite a good idea for a show. So what's your dream team up? Like, who do you think who hasn't worked together necessarily? Maybe they don't even know each other, but who do you think would be good to put on stage together? Hannah Gadsby. Jen Kirkman, Jen Kirkman and Andrew Dice Clay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say uh, 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 Hannah Gadsby and Louis C.K. would be a pretty interesting show. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. Uh, Maggie says, finally, I am like 100% sure I'm the only person in Alaska who listens to anything on the TOEFOP network. So if you sent me a sticker pack, it would be the only sticker pack in Alaska. Hugs, Maggie, address below. So we've got Norway and Alaska. All right. <laughs> Let's get going. Oh, I mean, it's got a good international flavor. I love Alaska. Alaska is one of those places that uh, I've traveled to a bit doing stand-up in Alaska and could not love Alaska more. The whole weirdness of it, the fact that like, you know, one part of the year it's 23 hours dark and one part of the year it's 23 hours light and, you know, how cold and hot it gets and how it's in the middle of nowhere and they think they all have their own rules. There's lots of like about Alaska. A place where you could just disappear, right? Yeah. Well, I have a list of places that I could potentially disappear to and Alaska is certainly <laughs> on it. <laughs> I spend a lot of time thinking about disappearing. <laughs> Jonathan writes in, uh, hey, Tofop, I have an uncommon last name, so don't say it on the air. First name is fine. All right, all right, he's up. I have been listening to the podcast for a while, and every week I enjoy listening to the conversations between Will and Charlie. You know you're writing to Will and Charlie. <laughs> Why are you sort of putting this in the third person? I've been listening to the podcast for a while, and every week I enjoy listening to the conversations between Will and Charlie. Yeah, that's us. <laughs> But it is only now that I've decided to send a message directly. Do you think Jonathan thought maybe like Mike Hal takes these or we have some kind of PA or something? I mean, I, I just like the polite sort of formal way that he's written to us as if we're an actual business. Like yeah, this is how exactly. you would write to an actual business with some sort of letter about the business. Yeah. To whom it may concern, yeah. I am a fan of the conversations between Will and Charlie. Uh, today. I decided to read the Wikipedia page for the Swedish novelty band Rednecks, a parody of an American redneck culture that released the obnoxious single Cotton Eye Joe in the mid-90s. Do you remember that song? Uh, absolutely. I do remember Cotton Eye Joe. How's so, it going? Yeah. Um, I'm so, so sorry. Where did you come from, Cotton Eye Joe? I've been touching a long time, long time ago. Where did you come from? Where did you go? Where did you come from, Cotton Eye Joe? So hang on, Rednecks, they were a, a, a parody band, were they? Uh, novelty band. Swedish okay. novelty band, the Rednecks. Next spelt N-E-X. Okay. Um, hang on, Cotton Eye Joe, also known as Cotton Eye Joe, is a traditional country folk song popular at various times uh, throughout the United States and Canada, although today it is associated with the American South. So hang on, there was a song called Cotton Eye Joe before that, though. Yeah, well, isn't it a sample in the... Because it's a kind of a techno song, isn't it? The Rednecks version. Yeah, absolutely it is, yeah. Well, there's a techno beat, but it's it's definitely... I thought it was a sample of a, like, a... There's a fiddle getting played. 
Okay, Cotton Eye Joe is the song by Swedish Eurodance group Rednecks from their debut album <laughs> Sex and Violence. Eurodance. Like, Eurodance... <laughs> Eurodance group just says everything, right? You get it straight away. Swedish Eurodance group, Rednecks, <laughs> and their album was called, I think we need to pause and go back over this, Sex okay. and Violins. Oh, nice. <laughs> so, based on the traditional American folk song, Cotton Eye Joe, it combines the group's style with traditional American instruments such as banjos and fiddles. The vocals, yeah, okay, the vocal verses are performed by Annika Lundberg. Well, the Cotton Eye Joe chorus is sung by railway engineer Goren Danielson, who never appears in the video. Right, so it's not a sample. They're doing it live. Well, yeah. you know, originally, again. Yeah. Okay, all right. Um, yeah, I'm up to date on uh, Cotton Eye Joe. Uh, well, John- Jonathan's given us a summation. Upon reading the article, I was astonished to learn many things about them, such as A, the band continues to perform and exist. Two, their robust discography, which includes an EP titled Inbred with Rednecks. <laughs> a franchise operation in both Australia and New Zealand. And an absurd number of lineup changes, which Wikipedia has deemed controversial. After discovering these details, I felt it was vital that I immediately brought them to your attention. While I don't know if you're familiar with this band, I think it's a good starting point for further conversation. So hang on, they're the- saying it's a... A franchise in Australia, though. So, are they suggesting that there's some sort of cotton eye? No, uh, rednecks. Yeah, is well, there like got, is there an Australian the, rednecks experience? Well, I don't know. Have you got the Wikipedia page open there? Why don't you have a bit of a look? Okay. Jonathan hasn't provided an address, so he's out of the running. Okay. All right. Well, this is pretty good, though. I need to. Here we go. So, Rednecks is a Swedish musical group. Yeah, we got that. Uh, originally consisted of the lead singer Mary Jo, Annika Lundberg, alongside Bobby Sue, Kent Orlander, Ken Tacky. Can I get it? Ken Tacky. Got it. <laughs> Arnie Anstrud, Billy Ray, Jonas Nielsen, and Mup, or Mup, I don't know, Mup, Patrick Edenberg. <laughs> <laughs> the group enjoyed success throughout the 90s with novelty hits such as uh, Cotton Eye Joe, Old Poppin' and Oak, The Spirit of the Hawk, uh, and Wish You Were Here. Um, all right. Blah, blah, blah. Um, oh, gee, there is a lot of lineup changes. You're right. Um, all right. Controversial, apparently. Okay, let's have a look at... Uh, um, all right, okay. You know what? Let's Let's go through this a little bit. So, 1994 to 1995, Formation and Sex and Violins. So, um, uh, th- then there was in 96, the departure of Lundberg and Riding Alone. Yep. In 98, Farm Out and Controversial Lineup Changes. 2001, okay. The Best of the West and More Lineup Changes. Jesus 2005, Christ. The Return of Lundberg and Comeback. 2009, second departure of Lundberg and singles. Uh, 2012, second departure of Tully and singles. Uh, 2015, the return of Lofgren. I mean, this really actually sounds... What about Lundberg, though? (laughs) Don't bring Lofgren in. You're going to get Lundberg if Lofgren's gone. It does feel like a Swedish Lord of the Rings. These are all the chapters of the return of Lofgren. Um, All right. Um... Yeah, where do we find the... We need to find the Australian stuff, though. Where do we find that? Hang on. Let's see if we can... Mike Hal just uh, put up a link for the Australian franchise, which is Other under, Brand under ventures. ventures. Okay, let's find that. Other Brand Ventures. All right. Um, a spin-offs and franchises. In January 2012, Rednecks event announced they had dissolved the concept of a permanent band, intending instead to use a larger pool of characters from which one female and three male performers would be chosen for each performance. Rednecks claimed this idea was totally unproven and unheard of in the music industry. Hang on, so what was the idea? So basically, yeah, they're franchising Rednecks. So basically... Is that that unheard of? So as long as it's one man, uh, sorry, one woman and three men and they play these certain characters, then you can be one of the franchises of Rednecks. Yeah, I wonder, are there any other franchise bands in the world? Like, I'm thinking like Kiss or, you know, anything where they wear makeup. 
Like, they don't franchise. Are the Wiggles franchised or is it always the same? I believe the Wiggles are a franchise and I believe that Puppetry of the Penis is franchise. <laughs> I don't know that you can squeeze Puppetry of the Penis in there, Will. Like, I don't know that they count as a musical act. The Blue Man Group, Mike Hell has told us, a Again, franchise. Not a musical. they're not a musical group. Like a band. Okay. Are there any other franchise bands? All right. So Rednecks began a franchise in Australia and New Zealand. Four new performers from Auckland and Wellington were recruited to form a second Rednecks with non-exclusive license to perform in Australasia. Um, okay. So, yeah. All right. So they have, uh, basically, there is a Rednecks down under experience. Yeah, right. Should we uh, get them to play Top 300? <laughs> Russell Crowe. <laughs> Russell Crowe on stage with the Australian Rednecks experience. And well, they cover... They're also from New Zealand, most of them, so they'd probably get <laughs> along. Sense. They might know each other. In fact, a couple of members of Rednecks were probably in Tofog. <laughs> All right. Our last bit of correspondence is from Dan. Dan with two N's. G'day, boys. I'm a pro wrestler. Yeah, finally, Will. We got our first, with all, all you bloody doctors with your PhDs, finally, we get someone worth listening to. Okay. I'm a pro wrestler for the New Horizons professional wrestling circuit in Perth. Shameless plug. I was just listening to episode 243. Oh, God. So that's only seven episodes ago. That's not too bad. We're not within bad. two months. Uh, episode 243, where Will tore shreds off the mining lawyer, or he would have if he'd known she was there. And not having seen any of Will's improv shows, I was very impressed. It's very similar to a wrestling promo, <laughs> which got me thinking. <laughs> if you guys were wrestlers, what would your gimmick or characters be? I know you've both had at least a passing interest in wrestling in the past. So I'm curious to hear what you think. Cheers. Well, I think we did a whole episode. We'd be the wet nightmare. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that was uh, make ourselves sticky. It'd be the wet nightmare. Well, he might not be up to that yet. Where was where was the wet nightmare? Was it post 243? I don't know. Mike, how can you find out where the wet nightmare, what number the wet nightmare was? Dan might have had his question answered. But uh, I... Uh, oh, no, I 231. Remember, when, 231 when was the wet nightmare. So when he said that it was... Uh, I haven't seen any of Will's improv shows and was very impressed. Did you... Trash, you didn't test. Oh, you went right. You went to town in the episode that we did, where you talked about the lawyer. I reckon you'd be good. Yeah, you'd be good at cutting a promo. I think. Look, obviously, state of your hips means your your in ring action days are, are over. But you could be a great manager. In fact, I'm fit. I could be the wrestler that you manage. But you could cut my promos. Maybe we cut. Maybe we, it's some kind of gimmick where I don't speak because I'm a mummy or something like that. <laughs> you know, like say. So, you have to talk for me. What would it be? Oh, could it be? Could we? I mean, this is maybe too obscure a reference, but the piano. <laughs> My gimmick is that I'm Holly Hunter from the piano. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm a mute. And you have to come out and cut my acerbic promos. And we're, I'm a heel. That's the other thing too. Is you've so, got to come out and say, like, you know, that how disgusted you are to be here. So, Vince, I've got this idea for a character. Yeah. <laughs> Have you seen The Piano with Holly Hunter? <laughs> Oscar winner, Holly Hunter. <laughs> what, what do you think when I say H? H? Uh, well, uh, Triple H? <laughs> Triple H? Are you thinking about Triple H? No. Wrong. Double H. Holly <laughs> Hunter. <laughs> Um, all right, let's choose who's going to get a sticker pack. So there's Wrestler Dan, there's uh, Jonathan Cotton Eye Joe, there's Alaskan Maggie, and there is Norwegian Elias Condom Man. <laughs> well, I think um, I think uh, Cotton Eye Joe didn't leave uh, an address, but Cotton Eye Joe gone. Was quite a good one. But no, what about Dan the wrestler? I like the fact that we've got our first wrestling correspondent wrestler. on the show. I think. This Do you is reckon good. he? Do you reckon Dan could cut us like a Tofop promo? Like maybe oh, call yes. out call out Tofop? Dan, if you want to uh, send us a promo, like just shoot it on your iPhone or something like that. We can upload it to our Facebook page. But like, why don't you challenge Tofop to a... I mean, is that how it works? They call each other out, don't they? Like, yeah, just call us out. Yeah, call us out, Tofop. Yeah, yeah, do it in character. Call out or, or you know, get, get, get your gang of whatever's your... Your, your faction 
faction. Dan and the faction. He's Dan wrestling the faction. Team. Dan, Dan with two ends and the faction. And just uh, you can send it to you can either send it back to the Patreon or you can send it to uh, email tofop at gmail dot com or just go to our website, which is a, a, a great great reason to let everyone else know that they can also go to tofop.com to check out. Some of our other great podcasts, Two Guys, One Cup, Philosophy. There's a great new one up with Damien Gamow uh, talking about his film 2040, uh, which also dovetails into the fact that we will be doing a live show with the Weekly Planet in Melbourne on uh, July 21st. So not this weekend. Well, yeah, next week, the weekend after, which I think tickets are mostly sold out. We've been moved to a bigger venue, but there may be some left. Uh, If you want to go to planetbroadcasting.com, you can grab yourself some tickets. Yes, if you want, if you want to go there, um, be quick because uh, yes, it is either sold out or very close to being sold out. Um, and I also just want to plug another podcast, the Daily Talk Show. Uh, that's with uh, Tommy and Josh. Uh, I did an episode of theirs a while back. They actually came down to film the uh, the live episode we did with James Fosdyke during Melbourne Comedy Festival. I was meant to give them a shout out at the time. I completely forgot. Tom sent me a very polite email just asking if we ever got the shout out that they promised considering that they uh, filmed all that stuff for us for free. <laughs> so I uh, promised him that we, I would shout out the Daily Talk Show. It's actually a really good show. It's a podcast, but they also have a YouTube channel every day, new episode, new guests. Jules Lund, uh, Tofop Illumini has been on the show. Um, but if you want to check out my episode, there'll be a link in the episode description below. Uh, Will, have you got anything to promote? Uh, Darwin, Darwin Comedy, uh, sorry, Darwin Festival. Uh, I, my show there is over half sold out, so if you want to come and see that, it's not until end of August or something, but uh, it is selling very fast. So if you're in Darwin and you want to come and see the show, buy some tickets. And also, uh, if you want to support Tofop and all of our podcasts, you go to patreon.com forward slash Tofop. Not only are you supporting our show, but you're getting access to heaps of bonus content, Quantum Cop comic strips, Everyone Relax, the uh, entire live show we did with James Fosdyke, a bunch of his artwork behind the scenes photo. It's totally worthwhile. Go to patreon.com forward slash Tofop. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. I mean, if you want. It's up to you.